to Burger Creek Productions' 15 Minutes of Fame podcast features Mad from the Canadian punk band of Abbots. Here's the song Poison Holiday from his debut solo album, Full Moon Fever. Today on the Burger Creek Productions 15 Minutes of Fame podcast, I have a, a very wonderful human, Matt Ellis, extremely talented, uh, you know, sporting, sporting, uh, you know, uh, I, we'll, we'll call it founding members and or members of, of such groups, Flesh Rag, The Vapids, among others. Uh, Matt, welcome. Thanks for having me. Really uh, excited to be here and uh, nice to have a conversation and chat uh, all good things rock and roll. Hell yeah. I, I, I like that. Now, I noticed that your 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 Bandcamp bio for your for your page, right? Your Matt Ellis page. Yep. It states that you make quote rock and roll music for rock and roll animals. So please, <laughs> if you can, define for me what a rock and roll animal is. You know what? Rock and roll to me has always just been about. It's like the the simple pleasures in life uh you know there's nothing better than uh good tunes having some cold beers and just uh you know easy easy living uh i've always been a fan of like really primal three chord rock and roll and uh just good music that gets your heart pumping so that's uh what i'm going for is uh getting people back to that uh that primal rock and roll feeling so that's what a rock and roll animal is. Primal that's beer drinking. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I guess you don't need beer to each their own. But, yeah. uh, that's that's my preferred uh, uh, lubrication. Lubrication. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> now, from from the Vapids to Flesh Rag, and I noticed assisting even in some of the drum recordings on your on your debut solo album, Full Moon Fever. You seem to have an extension relation extensive relationship with with Jimmy. And I don't know a lot about the historicity of you and he, right? But can you tell me a little bit about how, how you guys cross paths? Like, it, it, you've seemed to have collaborated for quite some time. So I'm, I'm curious yeah, about yeah. the backstory behind that. So uh, this is going back a number of years. This would have been, I think I first met Jim on a personal level around 2007 or 2008. Um but I had just started coming to Hamilton. I'm originally from a smaller town uh, closer to Niagara Falls uh, called Welland. Mm -hmm. And I started traveling to Hamilton, home, the home of the Vapids and uh, Jimmy. And uh, I'd seen them play a bunch of times, and I'd been a fan for a couple of years. And I gave Jim a CD of a band I was playing in at the time called Rocket Reducers. And uh, our relationship basically started. He said, you know, the songs are cool. I like the songs. Why don't you come to my house? I'll record an album for you. And uh, he recorded the first proper vinyl release uh, that I got to put out. I would have been like probably 21 years old at the time or so. <laughs> so this is like 13, 14 years ago when I met him. 
And uh, shortly after that, uh, we used to play rocket reducers, used to play with the Vapids all the time. Um, I ended up uh, playing on a Vapid 7-inch uh, in like 2008 called The Point Remains the Same. It was the follow-up to the album with the same name. And then um, since I played guitar on that, we were always hanging out in the basement, making tunes, writing music. Uh, played in a couple groups together, some some low key kind of stuff. A band called the Harbor Rats, and uh, usually Jim's always been there to help me out recording. And he's recorded a lot of bands I've been in over the years. Flesh Rag, uh, another group I'm playing in right now called Plastic Heads. But uh, you know, Jim's a really great guy, and being a, a young like rock and roll kid, uh, come into the city and stuff. You know, we always used to go to his record store, Raining Sound, and buy records. And just being a fan of the Vapids and uh, getting invited into the fold a couple years later was, uh, it was pretty cool. And uh, I'm glad we're still friends. And uh, my first solo record coming out and having Jimmy on board playing drums and uh, uh, being a part of it and doing the artwork and everything really means a lot to me. So mm. yeah, it's been a long, a long relationship, uh, 14, 15 years or something like that. That's awesome. And and what I find interesting, excuse me, what I find interesting about that relationship too is you're kind of as you had described it, younger rock and roll kid, right? You've already you'd already been playing. He's exper- you know, he's familiar with your music, you with his. Now, were there any in and at this point it seems like too, I I would consider Jim to be kind of like a veteran, right? Punk rock fucking yeah. veteran. Highly decorated punk rock veteran if you will. Um are were there any t- you know, We'll call it uh, any skill sets or or any tips, you know, tools of the trade, any of that type of stuff that you picked up from him as a result of working with him in so many different like areas, whether it's recording, writing music, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you know I think with like punk music, especially uh, a lot of it is just it's it's sort of like an osmosis. You kind of just like pick it up and sort. you know, you're like a rolling stone as you go through playing music and you're kind of collecting influences and experiences and everything. And I, I honestly don't even think there was a lot of times where like Jim would, would have to like tell me anything, but it's just kind of like, he would be like, Oh, this is like the way I do this or the way, you know, it could be something as simple as like, here's what kind of microphone I use to like record a guitar amp and just being around him and like not having any experience. He was always great for sort of showing me things like that and uh i think it's just when you click with somebody musically a lot of the times it's like unspoken i Mm. mean you know there was times where we would just get together and it would just be like me and him and we would just you know a lot of times music it's like oh i got three chords let's see what we can do and it just kind of it kind of comes out of nowhere it sort of you know pops out of thin air almost and you grab it and it turns into a song but uh you know, Jim has been a really good friend and a really good influence getting me into into playing music and recording. And uh, there was a point, actually, where he he packed up his recording unit and he brought it over to my house and he set it up and he showed me how to use it. And he was like, I'm going to leave this here. And he left it with me and my roommate, uh, Berger, the drummer from Flesh Rag. And uh, we learned how to do all of our own recordings just because Jim is that kind of guy. He set it up and he said, you know, do what you will. And we recorded a couple seven inches with it. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, to have it's almost like a mentor in a sense, but also like just someone. For who's, sure. It's almost like, you know, that that idea of like community, rock and roll community, punk rock community, however you want to label it. It's like 
we're here for the fucking art. And, you know, it's kind of that idea for me. It's like what I look at is it's almost like real recognizes real. Right. It's like there was something there, even if it's just three chords. Sometimes that's all you need. And it's like you can make you can make that happen, make any of that shit happen. So it's it's awesome that 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 existed. You had that like opportunity to have like a legit kind of like recording setup <laughs> and you're able yeah, to do stuff awesome. with it. You know, like that's that's <laughs> it's fucking, amazing. It's fucking great. Um, I wanted to talk about Flash Rag briefly now. Obviously, you had sent along a couple CDs. Fantastic, by the way. Awesome. Now. I did some more research, like as much as I could anyway, into Flash Rag as a group. And from what I could tell, at least via Bandcamp, the first release appeared to be Too Fucked Up, which it was, it, it looks like it was released October or August 2014, contained tracks recorded between 2009, 2013 at quote various places and with the help of various substances. Now, can you tell me do you have any good stories from the recording sessions? Like that's a long you know, twenty nine to twenty thirteen, like that's a that's a pretty extensive time frame. Various substances. I like just talk to me, share with me some some stories about kind of some of those cuts. Yeah, for sure. So basically that the the flesh rag project sort of came about um this is like I was just talking about is, you know, I would have these like song ideas and I would, I would, you know, hang out with Jim and I'd be like, I got this song, I got this song. And, you know, they're supposed to be demos for like other bands and stuff like that. And they just kind of accumulated over the years. But, you know, the way that usually a recording session would start is I would go over to Jim's house and we would have some beers and, you know, hang out Mm -hmm. and smoke cigarettes or whatever. And, uh, you just let the ideas start rolling and, uh, once again, it was kind of like Jim. He's like, I got all these songs that you've like, you know, done. We should like do something with them. And we started going through all of the recorded material and it just sort of ended up happening. And I was like, this is the perfect way to find a band. But yeah, the recordings are just me and Jim basically drinking and, you know, having a good time and just, you know, a couple cover songs. But, you know, I mean, we could have just got drunk and had a real good time and had fun just hanging out, listening to records. But I mean, if you're going to, you know, drink from like nine until three in the morning, right. you should try to do something productive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exa- if there's anything worth doing, it's worth doing right. So it's like, you know, at that point it's like, let's make the, mo- let's make the most of this now. It, so did flash rag start off as like, was there intention for that to be a, ba- a full fledged band or were those, did you release those under the monkey of like flesh rag? Because it looks like chronologically the next release summer bummer, like that features now the current lineup with Eric and Nathan. So like, did it, yep. did it start off as like just kind of an outlet and it morphed into something in 2014? Yeah. It was just like, I was in between bands. I had a band that I played in called mystics. Um, Jimmy recorded a demo, a couple demo tapes for us and a small label in Toronto put out a, a 45 and, uh, it was just like a bad luck band. I did it for a couple years and it's like, every time I felt like things were going good, somebody would quit or we'd have to start over with like a new rhythm section and all this kind of stuff. And, um, when that band broke up, I, I, I sort of didn't know what to do. So I, re- I had all these songs recorded and I recorded a couple more. And I mean, it was like everything from like Jim's basement to like him bringing his recording unit over to like my basement. 
to Hamilton to Oshawa and just things we've done over the years. And it kind of came about as like, I'll put together this tape of the music I want to play. Mm-hmm. And then I'll find, I'll find the band. It was sort of what happened in my head. And then the summer of bummer recordings basically happened. Like when Jim was like brought over his recording unit, it was like, here, this uh, is for okay. you guys. And he sort of, he, he knew Eric from Eric played in flesh rag. And uh, Berger's a good friend. He played in Rocket Reducers, the first band that Jim recorded that we were in. And he plays in a band, TV Freaks, as well now. So we were all friends. And, yeah, once again, Jimmy just being, like, a nice guy, like, set up his recording unit, showed us how to use it. And he's like, you know, figure it out as you go, boys. If you have any questions, give me a call. And that's just that's how cool. it happened. It's It steamrolled from there. <laughs> nice. Now, speaking of, um, I guess, like... I, I want to ask you a question about influences, but I don't want to ask it in, in the traditional way because I find that question to be tiring. So I've, I've kind of morphed it and I've gotten some pretty unique answers. Now, is there an artist or a band group that heavily influences you, but many people might not know that that band or artist has a huge impact on you as a musician? Okay, so this can actually tie into earlier I was talking about... Um, Raining Sound was the record store that Jim owned, and that's where I first met him. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first met Jim, it was because I went to Raining Sound, and there was a band that I was listening to, and this was like, if people remember MySpace, I found the band on MySpace, and I was like, this band is like badass. This is cool. I don't really know where to get these records, because this was before you could you know, order anything you wanted on the yeah, internet right. or whatever. <laughs> so I go into Raining Sound, and Jim's working, and I don't really know him, but I go... Hey, man, I heard of this band on the Internet. They're called the Candy Snatchers, and I, I think they're really cool. I wonder if you have any records. And I didn't know that Jim actually knew those guys personally, and they were friends of his. And he actually toured with them, uh, brought them through Canada, oh, and uh, <laughs> driven them around. And the Vapids went down to Virginia in the area and did like a week-long tour with the Candy Snatchers. So for anybody that's not familiar with them, they're like a 90s garage punk band, but they kind of – to me, they kind of like pull together the best classic punk sounds, but there's also like a really fast, intense energy about it. It's kind of like there's like a little touch of like the Misfits in there, but there's like the Stooges. Um, they kind of have like that that nonstop like go, 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 go energy that the Ramones have, but it's a really great underground band that when I first heard them, I was kind of like, wow, these guys kind of take all the things that I really like and they do it and it sounds mm. fresh. So Candy Snatchers, uh, my favorite album is Human Zoo. And it's uh, it's just absolutely amazing. That would be a, a big influence. And that's how me and Jim became friends mm. because he was like, who's this 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid asking for Candy Snatcher records? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So uh, you mentioned you mentioned the Misfits, right, or kind of that Misfits esque uh, sound for the Candy Snatchers, right? And yep. some light stalking on your Instagram page, you you referenced the Misfits bootleg, and I laughed at the post because when I was reading the description. Now, in your opinion, okay, bootlegs notoriously just bootlegs in general, especially board rips and shit, not the best quality. In your opinion, what ma- what makes Misfits bootlegs so much worse than what it, what it seems like the lion's share of other fucking bootlegs that are out there? I know, I know. The, the Misfits ones, there's always something about them. Yes. Where you, 
it's like they have this um, everybody knows they have this like iconic sort of like the early like Glenn Danzig era it's almost like this iconic cult band where like you just see the album and you're like this will be good like the misfits are amazing <laughs> and like the first couple times you buy a misfits boot like you're like eh, it sounds like crap uh, it's like not very good they played really bad the sound is terrible and uh i keep going back and looking for, <laughs> for one that will be good but i had this conversation with a friend recently and uh even the the the, the first like live record they released i believe was the evil live yeah, one originally yeah. as a seven inch and then it's like i have the 12 inch like german repress or whatever mm-hmm. but it's like the best live recording and i was like i know it's the best one but i'm still holding out hope that like someday something will be unearthed and there'll be like a new bootleg and i'll buy it and he's like my friend was saying he's like no no he's like we know that's the best one when a new one comes out you buy it he's like you'll be disappointed again (laughs) well it's like i'm almost i'm almost wondering like as far as like holding out's concerned it's like I've noticed in the last, I mean, it, it almost seems like the last like decade, it's like slowly I've been seeing more of these like unofficial like like radio broadcast shows from bands, recordings that are being released. And they're unofficial. They're like small, small, limited run shits. Like I saw one. It was a Ramones one. I think it, one of them was from, I think, New York, somewhere in New York. It might even been Utica or some shit. And then the other one was, I think, a Dutch broadcast, but it was like 80s era, and then it was like 90s. Oh, Unofficial stuff. So it's like, I'm wondering if the Misfits ever got around to doing anything that intimate. Part of me doesn't think that that's the case, but as far as like quality is concerned, like those are like radio broadcasts. They sound good, you know? Yeah, yeah. They sound awesome. Well, it's it's weird with like you know there's you you hear these all these like weird like one in a million stories like a, an album that I bought recently that I thought was actually going to suck was like I am a big I'm a big Stooges fan as well. Mm. My favorite Stooges album is Funhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, I always tell people I'm like if if I had to like describe one album to like if aliens came from outer space and they were like what's rock and roll I would show them Funhouse because it's like the most punk it's like the most psychedelic it's the most it's like the most out there with also being like the most like primal and raw. It's like the perfect rock album to me. And um, there's like this legendary show, the like Goose Island Festival, where like they all took a bunch of drugs and they played terribly. And Dave Alexander, the bass player, like forgot how to play the songs and they like kicked him out of the band. And it was like this legendary thing. And then somebody found recordings from the show and I like bought it and like they reissued it as an LP and it was like an official release. And I, I bought it and I was like, this is going to blow, but I'm a big Stooges fan and I want to hear this like disastrous show. And there's like some, some spots that are like pretty bad, but I listened to it and I was like, it's not actually as bad as everybody said, said it was like, there's, mm. there was good moments and good, good uh, enjoyment to be had out of that album. And I recommended it to a couple of my friends that were like, Oh no, that's like a terrible stooges like thing that happened i was like no no you can go check it out so since that happened the other year i've I've always like now i'm like i can hold on to a sliver of hope for some of these bands like (laughs) there there might be something that could get you know unearthed from the basement of someone's house or whatever right right some old like reel to reel tapes that like no one knows what it's like unlabeled or something and then it's just they they check it out it's like whoa it's like there's something here you know I mean, it's rare, but like it, it does happen. And I think those are the things that a lot of like record nerds who are, are diehards and there's certain bands that have that appeal to people like the Misfits being one, mm-hmm. the, the Stooges are another one. I mean, I know there's people who 
you know, like the Ramones. It's like, I love the Ramones. They're one of my favorite bands, but it's like a lot of those live recordings. It's like, I don't need to own all of them because I know what to expect. And I know right. they're all usually a, like decent quality, but there's certain bands that have like, it's like uh, the, like the misfits. It's like the allure of like, where, where's their perfect show. I mean, for the Ramones, you're not going to beat like it's alive. Like that's an amazing album, but the Misfits they don't they don't got that. <laughs> what's What's really funny? I've had this conversation with one of my good buddies, uh, Jesse. He's the host of Archive Media Podcast. He's had me on a bunch of times to talk Ramones and movies and all that shit. But anyway, we've talked about this. I've noticed in especially a number of the early like live Ramones like recordings because I, I one of my first live CDs that I got was I think it was NYC 1978 it's like a King Biscuit Flower Hour like recording like live recording and I yep. noticed that Joey's introductions of songs are the same and they stay the same like how he mm -hmm. introduces songs right like and it's it's very interesting that it stays consistent I want to say there's even some spillover between like it's alive in this recording. So it's like, and it would make sense, right? But it's it's still, it's small nuances like that, like you're saying, like you you know what to expect. And it's yeah, like, yeah. I saw this one unofficial bootleg. Um, it was from, I'm guess, I, actually it was from the Animal, it was from the Animal Boy tour and it's called Animal Men and it was pressed like white vinyl. I, I love the Richie era. Uh, Richie's just a fucking he's an awesome guy but like as a drummer like and a musician like I'm just he's he's a very I, I love that whole era but like I love all those albums too yeah Too I, Tough to Die yeah. is uh, my favorite like uh, like 80s to 90s album I feel like it's the unsung classic yes. album for them hell yeah dude breathing life back into like and, and nothing you know like Pleasant Dreams was is one of my favorites as well, but like I think when you look at the difference, the stark differences between Subterranean Jungle and Too Tough to Die, it's almost like it's night and day. Like, and there's yeah, good, there's yeah. there's great songs in every single record, but like Too Tough to Die was like that was a huge that was huge for them. I think you know mm -hmm. just in terms of the sound and kind of recultivating that rawness like that they yeah, had on yeah. those first three records. Anyway. um, what the fuck was I talking about? Um, no, 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 that bootleg, that Animal Men bootleg, I saw it go up somewhere, and it was like it was a little steep, but there's something about those like live recordings from that period because I know like with with the reissues, you know those Rhino reissues from like 2003, yeah. I think. Um, they did like the remaster. They included a bunch of like some of them had live recordings, some of them had like demo versions and shit like that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I'm always looking for lot like live Richie shows because he was an you know explosive drummer, right? We know we know the story from End of the Century where Joe Strummer's like you know he's running into like uh he runs into Joey and they're talking about how fast the set has sped up with Richie. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's like I'm always I'm I'm always interested in finding like boots like that of like his time spent with the band. Um, yeah, he's 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 a great drummer. I find it so weird that he had like a his like he I mean he was the last Ramona I expected to like pop out of nowhere and he started playing again and like I like I'm I'm fairly young so I never had a chance to see the Ramones play. He's actually the only Ramone I've I've ever seen 
perform and i kind of like begrudgingly went i was like oh, i'll go see him and then i went and i was like oh it's he's really good actually yeah, yeah. <laughs> well it's it's funny because so i don't know how old you're i'm 32 so like i'm not i'm kind of in that weird like i also did not get a chance to see ramon's live yeah and i've seen cj twice and he's awesome he's just a good human um and then richie as well only once but I want I don't know how to say this nicely. Marky Ramone is entertaining to me. And I really, really wish that he would kind of put aside his because there's beef. That, I don't know. I, we've my buddies yeah, and I've yeah, delved yeah. into this whole shit with like he's not super nice towards like Richie and blah blah blah. Anyway, w- it miffs us because I know that CJ and Richie got together in South America a number of years ago and did some some shows that they did together. And it's yeah. like, why, how has this not happened sooner where it's like basically the Ram- the remaining Ramones tour, right? Like, it's just, yeah. it, it, it baffles me that it's like, on one hand, it's like Marky like is basically like the Ramones karaoke show. He's a, t- he's an extremely talented drummer <laughs> and nothing, and nothing against that. That's, that's what he does. Yeah, but like, it's fine. It is what it is. Right. I, but I, I just have like, I have a lot of respect for both CJ and Richie because they went on to, you know, continue to write their own music and express themselves creatively and artistically. And I don't know. I just, it's, that's, that's, that's the artist, you know, like, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's like with, with any musician and there's a lot of times like even other bands and stuff and people are like, ah, they're like new albums, like not so great. You can kind of tell people just like want them to like rehash the old, like whatever, which is like fine. Like I know people, you want to see the hits and the songs that you like, but it is true that like, you should always be like pushing forward. Like I have more respect for a band that like gets back together and they go on tour and like maybe they recorded an album and it's, it's obviously not going to be as good as something they did, you know, 30 years ago mm-hmm. or whatever, but uh, to show that they're still, you know, committed to like creating and like they have something to say, I think that's important. Right. No, it's progress forward motion right i yeah, think I, sure. I think to. you hit that you kind of hit the nail on the head with that like you should always be pushing right now, yeah absolutely speaking of just artists changing over time etc some more light stalking from your page i saw that it looks like you've been like almost like introducing rock and roll to your daughter through like vinyl selections right like there's yeah. there's a picture i think she had like a stones record so have you been able to like I almost want to say like re-experience like albums or like bands from like your past that like through this process of kind of showing these to your daughter that you, not that you forgot about, but like, you're like, Oh shit. I, this is insane. Like I kind of forgot about how good this was through like kind of showing her like rock and roll. So there's like, there's two things that happen when I'm, when I'm showing her music, uh, the, the, like two ways that it happens usually is like one, one way is like all, I'll pick something to show her that I think that like a child can relate to. Obviously there's certain things that are like the Ramones is a big one, right? Like kids like the Ramones, I've got nieces who are young and they all, all all kids like the Ramones, you know, Mm -hmm. and there'll be bands that like, I'll, I'll pick an album and I'll put it on or like, yeah, the Rolling Stones I can show her. And uh, a lot of times I'll let her just go over to the record collection and this will be my daughter who's three or even my nieces who are a little bit older. The oldest one is nine. So we got like three right up to nine. There's, five girls in the extended family and I'll just tell them, I'll say, pick out an album and, you know, they'll look through the covers and pick something that speaks to them because it's, you know, 
blues their favorite color right now it's like a shiny blue album cover mm-hmm. or whatever but it is really great to like be able to put music on and to see kids enjoying it and it does give me in a way that like sort of connecting with my youth of like when you're like you know 15 years old and you like buy an album and you're like so excited to hear it you go home and you put it on and it's like the best thing ever to see like a kid jumping around and like listening to music is uh is it's definitely a great experience so i'm glad for now she likes my my music and she's happy to put stuff on and dance so (laughs) probably her her favorite her favorite band of like the stuff that that like i i like she likes the ramones the most actually and um part of the reason the the matt ellis like full moon fever album happened was because she kept asking to listen to the first ramones album she wanted to listen to it mm-hmm. and there was like a point last year or the like before i recorded the album a little little over a year ago where i listened to that ramones album like every day for like a month with her and it was like i was like man this is a I, like obviously it's an iconic album oh yeah yeah but when you listen to an album like that and and that's like a good example of like when you're a kid you know before streaming and and the internet and everything it's like when you bought an album it's like i remember i'd have my paper route money and i would buy the album and i would listen to it for like two weeks Mm -hmm. because i didn't get my next pay and i couldn't go out and get another cd or whatever right Mm -hmm. so listening to the first ramones album with her over and over again like nonstop, like really getting deep into it i was like this is kind of kind of funny like i haven't listened to an album this much since i was like a little kid or whatever right that's cool and I'm sure too, it's like, even, I don't know, I, I find this with, it doesn't matter if it's like a record, it doesn't matter if it's a movie, probably, you know, records make more sense to this point, but like, I've even, I'm sure, or I wouldn't be surprised if like through the process of listening to something every single day for a month, I'm wondering if you're like picking up on things that you haven't noticed before about certain songs because you've just heard them so many times. And it's not even that you're picking up on things. It's just you're hearing it differently. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Uh, like I said it's uh, earlier, it's kind of like it's like an osmosis a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. I feel like for musicians, it's like you just kind of soak it in. <laughs> and when I was listening to like the first Ramones album, obviously for people that enjoy the Ramones, there's like certain there's like certain tricks that they use that you can hear over and over again on albums. They, they have like their little, you know, their bag of tricks. Mm-hmm. And um, I always tell people too, I'm like, cause a lot of people like the Ramones, but they don't like, you know, not everybody who likes the Ramones, like learns how to play the songs and like listens to them like really deep. But a lot of those songs, if you try to like actually learn them, they're like kind of weird and they're kind of like hard to learn. And it's almost like, because they're so, they're so simple and so complex at the same time. But like listening to that album, like over and over again, it really made me get in sort of like that, that headspace of like, you know, you can actually say a lot just with, with like power chords and like very simple uh, song structures, Mm -hmm. but still have a very uh, sort of complex pop sensibility behind it. I guess if that makes sense. 100% agreed. It's, and it's funny you mentioned that about, you know casual listeners or listeners versus like musicians who are then trying to learn the songs play them etc i think in almost every band that i've been in and i've been playing in bands since i was a kid you know teenager i've in most every single one of those groups we've learned a ramon song in some way shape or form 
whether it's our take on it or whatever, but like in my, my current group right now, lurking class, we, we decided to learn the KKK took my baby away. And what we, what, what I, I made a joke during practice. I said, this is the Ramones attempting to make a highly like com not even highly complex, but like a, how did, how do how did I end up? How did I end up saying it? I want to say like, they wanted to like actually compose a song with multiple different like jar almost jarring parts because yeah, like yeah. It, it's very stark right like if you listen to the different parts of that song and we're playing through it and like we learned you know we learned it and we learned it it's moderately easy but like we're taking a step back and looking at all the parts it's like th yeah they were trying to like compose a um, a more, like I don't want to say like a more complex song but like from the musician standpoint it's like wow this is kind of weird this song's kind of weird like from a structural standpoint like it flows and it works it's almost incredible you know yeah it's amazing how like it's like a funny thing too a lot of musicians they like uh they kind of like hold their nose up at like punk rock or oh, yeah. or simple like rock and roll but to me like the music that has always attracted me has always been very very simple stuff and even there's things when you first get into music you think that it's you think that it's like complex this is like more of like a musician thing i guess but like you're like oh that's like a really that guitar part sounds really cool that's like really hard like i could never do that but if you like actually sit down and you learn it and you're like, oh, like that's actually, you know, I can do that. That's not too hard. And I think that's one of the big things I, like that attracts me to music is the rock and roll that I like has a simplicity to it. And it's almost like a anybody can do it sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But it's also like what makes all these bands great is like they were the it's like people are like, oh, well, anyone can do that. It's like, yeah, but you didn't do it. These guys <laughs> did it. <laughs> these guys did it. And it's great. These three chords are awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In in any number of combinations that they've been utilized, they're fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so my last question, I want to ask you. I I have a question. Traditionally, how I do this is the the outro essentially is I ask a question framed around a specific song of yours. And then I play it in its entirety, which I drop, you know, I drop in after we get done recording this. So if I have your, if I have your blessing to do so, um, I will do that if that's cool. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I spent a lot of time with the track Bad Day from Full Moon Fever. I just, there's something about it. I, I don't know if it's, I'm just a sucker for like drum, like hearty drum intros, but there's something about that song in particular. Now, I wanted to ask you about it, and, and this is primarily because you have an extensive history being a musician, playing what appears to be playing live, recording stuff. You, you've just you've done it all. Um, do you have any experiences in, in any number of your various bands that you've been in? Give me the baddest of the bad day being a fucking musician, <laughs> like gigging. Give me your worst memory. My worst memory. Okay. Probably. So when I first started playing music, I used to really like to drink. I still like to drink, <laughs> but I used to really like to drink. And um, when you're younger, it's a lot harder to be humble 
and to be sort of comfortable in your own skin. So it's sort of been when I was playing in Rocket Reducers, we played a show in, I think it was Waterloo, which is like a small sort of like college town, uh, not too far from Hamilton, maybe like an hour. Mm. So we played this show and we showed up and uh, it was like kind of like a punk house and it was like kind of weird. And like, there was like a sign that said like, take your shoes off, no drugs, no bullshit. And I was kind of like, oh, this is like lame. I don't really want to be here. So I started getting into like young guy, like bad mood, like me versus everybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we were playing, I started making fun of everyone <laughs> in the at the show. And uh, I sort of turned everyone on us, like on purpose, like I wanted to. I was like, you know, 21 years old being a jerk or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I turned everyone on us and I thought it was like funny and everybody hated us. And basically they cut the power on us and like kicked us off oh, stage. Shit. <laughs> and um, I thought it was hilarious. We only played like, you know, five songs or something like that. So that happened and I thought it was really funny and I was like really drunk and I probably done a bunch of other things. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> I was quite loaded and I was talking to my bandmates and I thought it was funny and we had self-released an album and my, I'm still friends with them. TJ, the bass player in the band who funded our first release and released it on like our own label and all that kind of stuff. He was mad because number one, they didn't pay us. So we drove there. We wasted all this time. Um, we lost money because we were all broke at the time and, it, you know, gas money and everything. Mm -hmm. Everybody hated us. So we didn't sell any records. And I thought this was hilarious. So I was laughing. And then when this happened and I was laughing, I was so drunk, I didn't realize what was happening. But TJ was actually on top of me and he was punching me and he threw me on the ground. And my <laughs> the other guy in the band, my, my buddy Berger, had to jump in and break it up. Oh. And then I, I, I learned a very important lesson that day that when you're in a band with other people it's it's not always just about what you want there's other people there that have goals and things that they want to do and um being humble and being nice sometimes you know is a lot better than being an arrogant young drunk jerk so i think that was probably the last time i managed to turn a whole room on us but I don't know exactly what possessed me to do that. I was probably having a bad, a bad day in regards to something else. And I was like, well, I've got a microphone now so I can make everyone else have a bad day. Now I'd rather just sing about it and let people celebrate the bad day with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. That was perfect. Um, is there anything, you know, obviously you can be followed on Instagram, Bandcamp, um, any number of your your different uh, your groups you're part of, anything you want to plug, anything coming down coming down the line that you want to want to chit chat about, anything like that. Um, yeah, people can give me a follow. They can check out the album on uh, Bandcamp. I got a couple copies left. It's sold pretty quick. Um, there's a label in the states from Oregon putting out. Uh, they're going to do a, a limited run of 50 copies of Full Moon Fever. That should be out. In August, it's, uh, the label's called Memorable But Not Honorable Tapes. Um, other than that, I do have an album coming out with a band called Anxious Pleasers that I play bass in. And actually, funny enough, uh, the guy that beat me up sings and plays guitar in the band, <laughs> TJ. And the guy that broke up the fight, um, Berger, 
plays drums in the band and I play bass. So this is the first time we've had a band together since we were in Rocket Reducers wow. 10, 15 years ago. And um, yeah, we got uh, a demo tape coming out and then we're in talks with the label and it's probably going to get pressed as an LP. So everybody out there in the internet world can check it out. Uh, Anxious Pleasers is the name of the band. Thank you.